Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Natalie from Gutsy Feeling Blog. Natalie was diagnosed with Crohn's 10 years ago at the age of 11, and throughout the years, she's gone through waves of remissions and flares, with the last few years being her worst and what led to a bowel resection this past summer. Natalie is an architecture student, a blogger, and Crohn's advocate who focuses on self-care, self-love, meditation, and gratitude. Thank you so much for joining me today, Natalie, and welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So as we know, every Crohn's and colitis story is different. Why don't you go ahead and start by telling me your Crohn's story and how your diagnosis came about? Yeah, so like you said, I was diagnosed when I was 11 years old, so that was 10 years ago, a little bit over 10 years ago now. Um, And leading up to my diagnosis, we weren't really sure what was wrong with me. We, there was a lot of um, issues with like my weight and I was having like bowel problems. Um, But essentially, I just kept having these like sore throats, but they never really were sore throats. So it was on and off antibiotics and basically nothing was getting better until I started getting really high fevers. And I basically my throat was closing because there was so much inflammation in my throat. Um, And so finally, I was like admitted to the hospital. And I was there for about four days until they were giving they gave me medication prednisone, and it kind of stabilized there. Um, It was kind of rough for quite a few months. And we tried a lot of different like, options. Um, but like, even compared to what the medication is now, like I was on a very mild medication compared to what there is, what I'm on now and what I think we've really gone through strides, um, with medication, even in the 10 years that I've been diagnosed. Um, but yeah, basically that was what my first initial diagnosis was like. It was, um, pretty scary at like 11, but we got through it together and I had like a good support system and I went to a doctor that was two hours north of where I live. Um, so I got a really good care. Wow. Now was IBD ever in your family or were you the first one to have Crohn's? Um, there's people who had IBD, um, in my family, but it was never really like my direct family. It was like, my grandparents, siblings, kids, or like my second cousins type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so you mentioned that on your blog and kind of on your Instagram, you've mentioned that the last couple of years have been rough and, and you said you've been through a lot of different medications and different things, but you do seem to be in a good spot right now. So tell me a little bit about what it finally took to get you to the spot that you're at now in managing your Crohn's? Yeah. So, um, like you said, I had a lot of rough years, um, especially, so I'm in my fourth year of university now. So it really started to get bad, um, in my first year of university. 
And essentially, I don't know if it was the combination of the stress or whatever it may have been, but um, I started to get these really like tightening pains in my stomach and it was really hard to describe to my GI. Um, and I had just started seeing a new GI because mine had retired, um, my pediatric GI specialist. And so basically um, we went through series of tests and nothing shows up in a colonoscopy. The spot where I have um, disease could only be seen through an MRI. Um, and so that was something that was really interesting because for all these years, my gastro, my pediatric gastro had only been doing scopes. And so he thought everything was clear, everything was fine. And but it really, there was still active disease, but we just didn't see it. And I wasn't really symptomatic. So we didn't really pursue it because there's no there wasn't really a point to like keep testing if we didn't really have any symptoms. But anyway, Basically, when I saw the MRI, it showed that I had about a foot of active disease and scar tissue. And so in um, basically, I started on Remicade um, in April of 2016. And basically, I was on that for about a year. And that didn't work for me. Um, in this time, I was also trying different diets. I was trying going gluten free, dairy free. And I found that it works sometimes. But it wasn't really like a solution. Um, and then basically, I had an MRI um, the following year, still showing active disease. So we switched to Stellara in August of 2017. Um, and I was on that until May of 2018, when they re um, did my imaging and the uh, active disease had gotten worse. And the stricturing, I had, a, I had a narrowing and stricturing in my intestine, um, my ileum, and it had gotten worse as well. And I was, at this point, I was having pain every single day. I would basically get up, I would have to do exercise, I would have to, like, I basically had a smoothie for breakfast, soup for lunch, I had to exercise, and by 3 or 4 p.m. every single day, I couldn't move. Like I was in so much pain and so much uh, stomach distension. But basically, um, long story short, I ended up getting surgery in July to remove 10 inches of my small intestine. Um, and now I'm doing amazing. I'm on Intivio. I started that in August of 2018. And I've been doing really well. Uh, I still need to get re-imaged since my surgery and since I started Intivio. But so far, everything's been going great. And I think that a, like a major part of why I'm in remission is because of that surgery. But I think it also has to do with my lifestyle. I try to make sure that I'm having a relatively stress-free lifestyle, even though, I mean, that's difficult with school and with other things. But I also try to make sure that I'm eating a good, healthy diet, especially because for over a year there, I was very malnutrient um, because I was literally, yeah, because I was literally having like a smoothie and then I was having chicken noodle soup every single day. Like, so it's like, yeah. there's only so much you can get out no of that. No nourishment. Yeah, <laughs> so there's only so much yeah. you can get out of that. So I'm really trying to like, just like, really focus on my body and I think that throughout this hard, those hard years I really became very in tune with my body and what I need um in order to like live a good life um and I'm really like in tune with when I need to take a break when I'm when I'm doing well and whatnot 
So hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> it does. It does. And it's so awesome to hear that you're in remission and finally feeling so good. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about surgery, uh, just for the listeners who might be out there who have not had surgery or might be facing surgery. What was it like for you? This was your, your first surgery. What, tell me about your mindset. Was it hard to kind of prepare for that and then get into a little bit about the recovery? Because I know you said you used yoga and exercise as a big part of that recovery. So kind of take me through that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, surgery, honestly, I wish I would have done it before, but honestly, I think that's what everyone tells me. I've talked to a lot of people who have had a similar surgery to me or who have also had, um, different surgeries and they all say like, I wish I would have done it sooner, but it is definitely a really scary thing. Um, that you that you have to face in your life um and I feel like I was mentally prepared more so because I knew that this was my best option because when uh when basically I got to that point I basically only my two options were clinical trial medication or surgery and I knew that I didn't want to do clinical trials um and so basically I think that I was mentally prepared for that surgery and I had a really good support system. Um, my parents and my boyfriend and my whole family really helped me, um, not only like in the time leading up, but also to prepare for the time after, because that was what stressed me out the most about my surgery. It wasn't really like the surgery itself. It was making sure that I had the proper care because I didn't know what to expect after my surgery because it's different for everyone. Um, so basically my surgery ended up going really well. Um, I was in the hospital for four days and then I came home and I weaned off of pain medication as quickly as I could just because I didn't want to be on um, too much pain medication. So I switched to Tylenol as soon as I could. Um, and honestly, I'm not going to lie, when I was going into surgery, I was in the full mindset that I was having laparoscopic surgery because my doctor told me that I, I, well, the way I understood it was that I would have laparoscopic surgery. But then when I was on the table, they had put me on the table ready to have surgery. They do a debrief with you before your surgery. They debrief everybody together and they're like, major chance of open surgery, slight chance of laparoscopic. And I was like, oh, well, it's too late now. It's too late now. Like, we're doing it. So I was like, okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was a little bit of a loop, but I was like, I'm, I'm too far into this now. I'm not going to turn back. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that having open surgery definitely made it more difficult with the recovery because, um, Basically, I think that recovery, they always say about um, six to eight weeks, and it definitely is about six to eight weeks. Um, I had it at the end of July, and I was back to school at the end of August. Um, and I think that, yeah, and I was back to school then, and I also had gone back to work after um, four weeks of recovery, so at mid-August. Mid but yeah, my work was really um, accommodating. My boss actually um, has Crohn's disease. And so, yeah, so I was really lucky that they were like super understanding because it was my first internship with architecture. So I was really excited to do it. But then when I had to tell them like halfway through, like I need to have surgery, they, I mean, what are they going to do, right? Like, 
I'm sure they felt terrible. Um, but yeah, so I mean, in my recovery process, I really made sure to like take it easy, really take it slow. Um, but I definitely used movement and food as a way to heal myself. So I started to make sure that I was eating whole food, but that I was taking it slowly with reintroducing food. Um, and I also, um, I also was doing a lot of yoga and I started to do ab exercises. And when I say ab exercises, I mean, the first time I was doing the first time that I started doing ab exercises, I was literally doing toe taps. And after 10, I would get exhausted and tired. So it was, it was really definitely something that I had to work on. And even I remember, go ahead. I was going to say, how long did you wait until after the surgery to start doing some of those movements and toe touch type things? Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I think I waited until about six weeks after my surgery, um, because they told you not really to do much. I was doing like walking a little bit, Mm -hmm. not far because I, again, I would get really, um, winded easily. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean about six weeks and I really, really did start slowly. Um, and if I felt like I overdid it one day, I would take, take days off. I I didn't want to push it. And it is a scary thing because you don't want to, um, hinder this, like the, um, the stitches. Yeah. The stitches and whatnot. And, um, I had staples that were in my stomach too. Um, after, but they was, those were removed 10 days after I had surgery. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so basically I really started to do it at about six weeks and I took it really slow. And even by October. So I remember I was at a wedding in October and I was really upset with myself because I was, my stomach was hurting. Like I had pain in my scar and I was getting really frustrated with myself, but um, I kept at it. I kept at it. And finally, I think by mid-November was when I really was full back to full strength, back to not having to have pain when I was sitting up for too long. I was getting really bad back pain. Um, so mm-hmm. by November, I was really back to normal. So that was about um, four or five months after the surgery, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like the most rapid um, recovery portion was about September. September, I was feeling really good. But to say that I was back to normal probably wasn't until November. Yeah. Um, was that something you were, ex- were you expecting it to take that long? Or was that longer than what you were initially thinking as far as recovery? I definitely didn't think it would take that long. I thought mm-hmm. like four to, I thought like about three months, I would be good and going. Um, and that's why I was so frustrated at that time when I kept, like I would stand up and I would have really bad back pain and scar pain along my scar. Um, because I also had, um, a, I can't remember what it's called, but my scar was raised a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so essentially it meant that um, there was a lot of pressure on that one point of the scar. And so I think that that also caused issues um, that were unforeseeable. But yeah, one of the other things that I definitely did after my surgery at about the four week mark is I started using bio oil on my scar. Mm-hmm. And that has significantly diminished the appearance of my scar. And so that's something I would definitely recommend for people to do. I put it on night and day or morning and night. Um, and I think that that really helps to keep it lubricated so that it's not like drying out or um, scarring further. Yeah, that's a great tip. 
So you're you're back to 100% now, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. for sure. Awesome. Well, let's get into mm-hmm. a little bit more about the lifestyle that you've been talking about because you've definitely made fitness and dietary changes. So let's start with food. As And as we know, food is so different for all of us with, with Crohn's and, and colitis. Um, so tell me about what impact food has on your Crohn's and a little bit about how you started changing, kind of how your diet has evolved and, and what you're doing now with the way you eat. So um, for years, I mean, um, I have always been very open to holistic approaches when it comes to um, Crohn's and colitis and IBD itself. I've always thought that food definitely, like you said, affects um, people with IBD, but it affects everyone. So really the food that you put into your body, it affects everyone, but for people with uh, conditions like IBD and IBS, it affects them more, right? Um, so for years, I tried different holistic approaches. I've been to naturopathic doctors. Um, I've taken different supplements like, uh, turmeric, different enzymes, different things like that. Um, and some of them work, some of them didn't. I still am on a lot of vitamins and supplements, Mm -hmm. um, that I find help. Um, I take probiotics daily and I think that those really do help. Um, and those have been like studies and proven, um, that those do help, uh, people. And I think that those, um, my supplements in conjunction with my food have really helped to make a really good rounded system for me. Um, but basically I have tried a lot of different diets. And like I said, I did try going gluten-free, dairy-free to see if that made a difference for about six months. And I found that it did make some differences in some areas for sure, but I didn't think that it was, um, substantial enough for me to continue on that path. Um, But I think that one thing that I will say about this is that food can really start any type of new diet, any type of new supplement, anything that you're taking can really start to play and mess with your mind. Because I would go through these cycles where I would go to the, the, the doctor or whatever it may be, I would get this new supplement or this, try this new diet. I would start it. I'd have all this excitement, all this hope to try it. Mm -hmm. And then after six months, nothing has changed. And then you go into this, this sadness, or you go into this lull where you're like, well, what do I do now? Right? So I feel like I've been through that cycle a lot of times in my life. And I mean, it's different for everyone, right? Because like I said, I've been, I've had it for 10 years. It's definitely different for somebody who's only been diagnosed for a few years or been diagnosed for 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's something um, that needs to be considered a lot more, I think, with IBD is that food isn't just something that you put in your body. It it can also affect you mentally. Um, And these diets and these treatments that we do try can definitely affect us mentally. Um, but overall, I think like for food, I try to eat a very, um, whole food diet, but I don't limit myself to just eating like, um, just eating certain types of food. I try to eat everything in moderation. Um, and something that I did struggle with for a long time is when I was, uh, before surgery, I was, um, 
basically not eating any raw fruits or raw vegetables um, because those were very gas producing and I had a stricture and I couldn't break those down um, like in my body. Yeah. And so coming back after that, I still get nervous eating salad because salad is the worst one, Mm -hmm. like dark salad, like, you know what I mean? So it's like, (laughs) I, yeah, I still get nervous um, sometimes eating those types of foods. But I think that I have like a meal prepping system that I do every week where I meal prep a bunch of vegetables. I meal prep some rice or some pasta. I make like Buddha bowl types of things. Um, And I really think that when it comes down to food, it's really important to prepare in advance. I think meal prepping can change anybody's life. Um, And I think that if you make it a priority, you will uh, like it'll benefit you in the long run. Especially when you know what foods are safe for you to eat, what you do well with. And then when you have those ready, you don't ever feel like there's an emergency. It's, you know, you've got something. And, and I am Mm -hmm. right. I'm right there with you on salads because lettuce, I think lettuce was the first thing I identified as bad for me. And I, I think I learned to dread salads and I watch people eat them and I'm like, how, how can you do it? But Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, And it's definitely hard, too, because people will tell you, oh, like, that's so healthy. Like, a salad is so healthy. I try to eat all of this, all of that, like, all these raw fruits and veg. And I'm like, that might be healthy for you, but it's definitely not Mm -hmm. healthy for a lot of people who have conditions like this. And I think that's definitely something people don't understand. I think you're exactly right, because I can't even count the number of people that have told me over the years, like, just eat healthy vegetables and eat all these fruits and, and you'll be good and it'll heal or, or yeah, try this watermelon yeah. diet. <laughs> I mean, like, you're going to kill me. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's talk about, I know you're an essential oil lover and mm-hmm. I haven't had anyone on here yet. Talk about essential oils. I've dabbled in them a little bit myself, but I know that you're a big proponent of them. So have essential oils been a big part of your IBD management as well? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, those in combination with yoga, um, I think I, I think I got into essential oils probably a few years ago and, Mm -hmm. um, they have really helped not only with my IBD, but with anxiety and, um, with sadness. And I think that they can really have a lot of health benefits to them. Um, One thing that Mm -hmm. I will say that helped me the most with essential oils and IBD was um, in the time leading up to my surgery, there was very little I could do to help with the pain. I couldn't, there was, there was very little I could do. And so basically what I found helped the most was a heating pad, um, going on that liquid diet, moving so making sure that stuff was moving through my body so exercise helped with that and lastly peppermint essential oils peppermint essential oil Mm -hmm. literally is my number one tip for that it numbed the pain so much it numbed the pain in the most natural way on my stomach i would just rub it on my stomach and the stomach distension Mm -hmm. would be like my muscles would all relax and it was honestly one of the biggest things helping me through that time. Um, beyond that, I mean, did you mix? Did you mix it with like a carrier oil and then use a couple drops of peppermint um, when you would rub it on? So I, 
I particularly used a blend called Peppermint Halo by Sage Essential mm-hmm. Oils, and they are roller balls. So it, you don't have to do that. But if I was using, like, if I were to recommend it with other people, I would tell people to either test it on your skin with just a few drops, or if that reacts, use a carrier oil with peppermint oil for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I think beyond that, I mean, I diffuse like lavender essential oil every night. I have certain blends that I diffuse during the day, like um, with lemon and citrus. And so I really think that they have a lot of benefit to not only your mood, but um, there's also certain blends that I will use if I'm feeling sick, which have like eucalyptus in them and lemon and um, a lot of different oils within them to help um, fight colds. And so I really do think that they have a lot of awesome benefits and it's something that I've become very mm-hmm. passionate about um, over the years, especially because I saw how much that peppermint oil helped me through some of the hardest pain I've ever experienced, though some of the worst pain I've ever experienced. And so I think that I became very passionate about learning more about different oils and um, yeah, whatnot. So and the quality definitely makes a difference too. Mm-hmm. I know I've early on I tried just using some cheap little essential oils and it was basically just a smell. They didn't do anything, but mm-hmm. I played with a few and I got some better quality ones and I did notice um some good diff- peppermint oil is one I use like when I was real constipated or just mm-hmm. painful and distension. I've done that before and really enjoyed it. Is there a particular brand that you use or yeah, anything you'd recommend? Um, I use sage essential oils, uh, mainly because they are a Canadian company and Mm -hmm. um, they have stores. So essentially there's a store that just opened in the mall near me. Um, It used to be the closest one used to be where I went to GI appointments. So I'd go to my GI appointment, then go to the mall and get oils. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, basically um, I really like that brand. I really like their... um, their message, and they are a very high quality product. Uh, I know that there is also Young Living and doTERRA, which are also two other good brands, and you can get those online. Um, But yeah, you're definitely right. The quality of the oil definitely makes a difference. And it, it definitely, I wouldn't even recommend buying cheap essential oils because you don't know what you're getting because these aren't like an FDA approved type of product. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really know what you're getting in those ones that are cheap. You could be getting something that isn't even, it could be a chemically like synthetic scent. It could, right. it could just not even be a natural product. And so, I mean, they are, they can be expensive, but I think if you even invest in just a few that um, like a few, maybe like lavender, a, like a lemon or citrus scent and a peppermint, I think mm-hmm. that those would go a long way. That's perfect. Great little starter kit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you talked about using a heating pad and liquid diets and some of the essential oils. Do you have any other tips for the times that you've gone in and out of remission? Are there other practices or things that you've found that have helped you throughout the years? Yeah. So, I mean, I have definitely been on a low uh, residue diet and a liquid diet. So Mm -hmm. the difference being, I mean, the liquid diet was mostly liquid and low residue is basically you're just avoiding anything that is um, highly processed or um, 
that leaves a lot of residue within your intestinal lining. Um, but mainly, I mean, it definitely depends on when you're picking the foods that you are like that are going into your body. I think it definitely depends on what your symptoms are. So for me, I was like, I, when I'm in a flare, I typically get more gas and bloating than I would make mm-hmm. some people get more like diarrhea or different things like that. Um, and so I pick foods that won't be producing those gas products. So I try to limit any type of, I try to limit any vegetables that will cause gas in your stomach. I will, I don't eat fried food like ever really. Um, like rarely I'll have something, but I don't eat fast food. Um, and pop those types of things those um i would definitely avoid if i was in a flare um i like to use my heating pad like i said the essential oils and i think really focusing on me so i think this comes back to the idea of um self-care and self-love and really making sure that you are focused on your mental health as well as your physical health when you are in a flare and being open and honest with the people around you, whether that be your spouse or your family or your professors or anybody, your your employer, um, and really being honest with them and explaining what your situation is like um, mm-hmm. and making sure that you are saying no to things that aren't required or really just focusing on making sure that you are giving yourself enough time and enough space to heal um, because flares can last. Um, I mean, they can last forever, really, but they could last like yeah. um, they <laughs> yeah. could be a short flare. It could be a long term thing, but really just making sure that you're listening to your body is, I think, one of the most important things. And when you listen to your body, you're also making sure that you're taking care of your mental health at the same time. Yeah, great, great tips. Mm-hmm. So tell me, you're obviously very busy, architecture student, you're blogging, you're doing a lot. So how do you manage that stress in life as opposed to simply just talking about, I know a lot of people just say things like, yeah, I need to control my stress, but it's hard to actually do. How do you find that balance in life and bring dial down the stress levels? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely am very busy. I go to school five days a week. Um, I write for my blog. Um, one of the things I will say is that I have been fortunate enough to not have to have a job while I am in school. Um, that has always been, my parents have supported me and helped me through these times to be able to pay for school. Um, and whatever other debt I may accumulate, I will worry about later. But basically, um, mm-hmm. I tried to not force myself to have a job because school is already so busy. And I knew that if I tackled a job on top of that, I my stress levels would be way too high. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of started. Um, well, not one of the reasons, but basically, I'm hoping that as I move forward, the blog could maybe start to gain some sort of money or some sort of uh, small amount of money um, possibly to subsidize what a part-time job would do. Right. But basically managing the stress. um, I think that one of my biggest tips is time management. I use calendar blocking, uh, a calendar blocking method on Google calendars, whatever calendar system you may use. Um, Basically, I block out time. And so I write down everything in my calendar. I write down 
what times I go to school, Mm -hmm. how long it takes me to get to school, what time I need to leave for school, all like everything. I I make sure that I'm accounting for every minute of the day. Um, But I also leave chunks out for relaxing or for hanging out with friends. I put those in the calendar too, to make sure that I do account for time with friends, time with myself. Um, But I think that really making sure that you find a system that will manage your time well. And I think that um, um, for me, I work better waking up early. So I get up at seven right now and I get up and I, I do my exercise. I have my morning routine and then I start work in the morning because I'd rather have stuff planned in the morning where I can have more control. But I find that as I move through my day, people get in the way, things get in the way, things come up. Mm -hmm. And so I get less and less control about what I can do later on in the day. And so I found that really putting in like my blog writing or things that I want to get done for myself or any tasks or schoolwork Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the day so that I really make sure that I'm working efficiently. Um, And when it comes to school, I think that I wrote a whole blog post on managing school actually at an um, August of last year. But one of my top tips is definitely signing up for disability services. So making sure that you are Mm -hmm. um, signed up with them and you, it's pretty easy for the most part. I've done it at two universities so far and both have been easy and accommodating, but just making sure that you have that backup so that if you ever, um, if you ever basically needed to take time off for a GI appointment or take time off because you are having a flare, you have an excuse and it's not going to be such of a big deal when it's happening. Um, so basically being proactive in that sense and also being honest and open with your professors. Like in the semester leading up to my surgery, I was super honest with my professor. I left frequently early from my classes because my class for architecture was until 6 p.m. and my body just couldn't take it until that time. And so I frequently left early and I made sure that I was collaborating with other people and um, yeah, that I was basically getting everything done earlier in the day. Um, So I think it's really just about being honest and open if you can. I know it's hard and it's taken me years to be honest and open with people Mm -hmm. about how I feel because I always felt like, oh, it's my business. I don't want to tell people. But I really do think it's important to um, take advantage of the services that are offered at university and also be honest with your professors because they just want to help you and like allow you to succeed. That's great advice. And I'll, I'll grab that link to the article you mentioned from your blog that you wrote. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes because that's, I think that's fantastic advice. I, I wouldn't even have thought about that. It's been years since I've been in school, but I don't think I even would have thought about going that route and looking for the support systems that are already there and in place. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. tell me a little bit more about your blog. Tell me kind of when you started it and and why you why you started writing. Yeah, so I mean, I started it in June of 2018. So some people might think, why did you start it then? You were in the worst pain of your life at that point. Um, but 
honestly, at that point, I wanted to share my experiences with people. I wanted to tell, I wanted to share with people not only what I'd been through, but also remind people that they're not alone in the issues that they're facing and that there's other people around them who are going through similar experiences. Um, and so I really wanted to share my experiences, share the knowledge that I've gained, all the tips and tricks that I've learned along the ways. Um, and I think that I wanted to be a message of hope, um, but also spread the, um, the importance of self-care, self-love. And um, yeah, those messages are really at the core of my blog. And I think that I wanted to share those ideas with the world. And I never thought that I would be able to reach so many people in such a small amount of time, um, or that I would gain so many relationships with other people who have similar experiences. And honestly, the community that I've gained through Instagram and through my blog um, is incredible because you go on, I go on to my Instagram and I'm constantly inspired by the people that I see and the, um, ad like the adversity that people are facing. And I really think that, um, seeing all these stories has allowed me to grow as a person because even if I'm having a rough day, I see, okay, that person's having a rough day too, or that person is, is going through more than I am. And I know that it's not a good way to always look at, oh, that person's worse off than me. But sometimes you do need to see that. And sometimes I think that it's important to see those, um, those things. And so I think that building this community has allowed me to share more stories, to share more tips. And I think that that is the main reason I want to be able to help other people and um, do so by sharing my experiences. And that's so wonderful. I know from my own experience, it it was about took me 10 years before I really started talking about myself. But yeah, for all those all those years leading up to that, like I scoured the internet and I searched for what other people were going through. And I wanted to know that I wasn't alone. So it is so mm -hmm. important. So a big thank you for starting that and doing that. And I think you touched on something really important of just the community that's out there that, mm -hmm. you know, that's something I didn't really realize what a difference it made for me to just even, you know, just on Instagram and starting to to follow more people that have Crohn's and colitis, what a difference that made for me and knowing that we're all out there and we all just want to help each other. So mm -hmm, for sure, if anyone who's listening is, is not involved, that would be, I think, such an important thing that you touched on that find that community. Yeah. Because it really is important. Mm -hmm. So what's the what's the biggest challenge you've faced since having Crohn's and how did you get through it? Um, I honestly do think that it was my surgery and the time leading up to that. And like I've said, I got through it with the support of my family, um, my parents, especially my boyfriend, um, my amazing GI team. And I really think that that was how I got through it. I think that if I didn't have that support, I wouldn't have gotten through it so smoothly. And I think, like you just said, with the community, I think that after I had my surgery, I, I started to grow that community. And I started to have more and more people around me on my Instagram, on my blog. And I think that they also helped me get through it because I even talked to a few people who had this similar surgery to me. 
a few days after me or a few days before me. And so we were in a similar recovery process at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so we would talk and we would see how each other are doing. And I think that that, um, that was one of my biggest challenges that I ever went through in my life. And I think that having the community of support around me physically, but also in the internet world was um, really important. Yeah, that's one thing that the internet really has made just phenomenal is being able to connect people and and serve that purpose. Right. Yeah. So is is there one thing that you wish as you've started to talk more about your own disease and be more active in the IBD community? Is there one thing that you wish people who don't know anything about Crohn's and colitis is there something you wish they knew but they don't? Yeah, I think that that the one thing that I wish people knew, and it's been said time and time again, is that um, IBD is not just a pooping disease. It affects much more than um, your bowel movements. It definitely affects you in many ways. It affects your mental health, your physical health, and the symptoms aren't always the same. Um, and I think that that is the main thing um, that I want people to know that your symptoms won't always be uh, extreme diarrhea or extreme constipation. They might fall in the middle. They might um, they might be completely different. So I think that um, knowing that there's so much variation in these diseases and being um, willing to understand that would be something that I think people should know. And I think that as we continue to educate people more about it, I think that people should know that even just showing that you are willing to learn about it goes a long way with somebody who is being affected by a condition like this. Very well said. I agree a hundred percent. So if people want to follow you and read your blogs and follow you on Instagram, where can they do that? Give me your you're, just tell them where to go online and find out more about your story. Sure. So um, you can f- uh, follow my blog at gutsyfeeling.com. And um, basically, you can subscribe. I send you a weekly uh, letter with my blog post. I post every single Sunday. So it, you'll get it sent to your email. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at gutsyfeeling. Um, and you can also follow me on Facebook at Gutsy Feeling. Um, and I also have a Pinterest. Everything is at Gutsy Feeling. So, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I'll put all of those in the show notes so that people can find you easily and get all that great information that you're putting out there and sharing. Awesome. So we, we covered a lot today. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share with the community out there? Honestly, I think we covered mostly everything but mainly I just want to say like thank you for having me on and um, I really hope that not only me but everybody else who is doing things within the IBE community like yourself like other people who are putting out content I hope that we continue to inspire people that we will find a cure we will find better treatments we will continue to live and thrive and um live good lives with these conditions. Very well said. I love that 100%. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure talking with you. Lots of great information. And I really enjoyed it this morning. So thank you. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohnsfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn's Fitness Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.